Thank you, Brother Ken. What a wonderful job. Didn't Brother Ken Lamberson do a good job for us? Brother Gerald's on vacation today. He called me and he said, uh, what am I supposed to do when uh, I'm going to be out on vacation? I said, well, didn't you read the contract? You're not getting your vacation. (laughs) I said, well, Ken Lamberson would be a great, great person to take your place. And thank you, Ken. Thank you so much. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Nehemiah, the Old Testament. We have been talking about the EKG of the heart. We have been inspecting the hearts of men. And we've seen a number of men with different types of hearts, as the Bible begins to remind us. And the condition of those hearts have been very fatal, as we've seen thus far. We've noticed of Nehemiah is talking about a heart as well. But oh, how I think about, as we looked at Herod, how his heart had become hardened to the calling of God and the will of God for the life of the Israelites. And then, of course, I think about, as we talked about last week, as Uzziah, his heart had become proud. His heart had become boastful, haughty, and the Lord humbled his heart. And then, of course, we talked about a couple of weeks ago about Solomon, a man that who once served the Lord and loved the Lord and kept the countenance of God and the commandments of God in accordance to his will. And yet his heart turned and he turned to the ways of the world. And he turned the ways of the flesh and the ways of the devil. Today, we're going to talk about another type of heart. And oh, as I look at Nehemiah and I see here's a heart that is broken for his fellow mankind. I pray that I would have that kind of heart. I pray that you would have that kind of heart. Burden for the lostness and the conditions of our world. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to read the first six verses of that chapter. Would you stand with me in reverence of reading God's holy word? And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, and I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I have never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Underline that. Sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid, and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city and the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, 
I ask that you send me to Judah. Reminds me of the words that Isaiah said, Lord, send me. May that be a prayer that we as well have today. Lord, send me. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, and that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Father, thank you so much for the heart of Nehemiah. Thank you, Father, that you have given him a passion and a compassion for the city of Jerusalem. And Lord, may we have the same type of compassion upon our city as well. Father, may the Spirit of God anoint us and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Use us for your glory. In Jesus we pray. Amen. I remember hearing Dr. W. Landrum often say this very thing. A Christian should have a heart 25,000 miles in circumference. Mm. Talking about that we should have a passion. We should have a heart for the lostness of mankind that is around us here today. I'm reminded of what John McNeil said. He says, all. We need an eye in our head and a tongue in our mouth and a hand at the end of our arm which has in it some tingle of everlasting love. He says, and we need a heart working behind all three which has been kindled from the heart of Jesus who for us men and for our salvation took flesh And died upon the cross. What a remarkable, remarkable statement that he had made. That when I began to think about what the Lord Jesus Christ did for me. And I began to think about that even though I was lost, undone. That through his mercy and through his grace. And through the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, my heart was pierced. And then I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And how it changed my life. And you know, when that happened in my life, there came a desire within my heart to go and to share with others the good news. We talk about the good news of the Gospel Well, my friend, I want you to understand, there's not any greater news to share with this lost world today than the news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That He died for us. And that He gave Himself that we might have life and everlasting life. And that through Him, that He changes our life and puts us on a solid road of redemption Oh, as I began to look at Nehemiah, and I began to notice that of 
several things about Nehemiah's sorrowful heart. He had a heart of passion. Let me share with them with you for a few moments. Go back to chapter 1 just for a few moments there in Nehemiah. I want you to notice, first of all, you'll notice the condition that was shared with Nehemiah. Now listen to Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chiseleth. In the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, and Hanay, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. In other words, what the Bible said, there came a day that Nehemiah's brothers and Nehemiah's friends had visited him. And there they began to share with him some things about Jerusalem. I can almost hear that conversation as Nehemiah may have said. How's things back home? And as they began to share with them, they began to share a couple of things. They shared that their people were in reproach. Their people were in reproach. Look what the Bible says in verse 3. It says, And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. Now, if you know your history, the Jewish history, the Jews have been in bondage, have been in uh, Babylon captivity for almost 70 years or better. And now we began to find out that many of them died. But there were a few that had survived. And as they had survived, as you began to look upon the landscape of that particular homeland, they were not doing very well. In fact, the messenger said they were of great distress, great reproach against them. First of all, there was in a state of despair. A state of despair. Nehemiah was told that they were of great affliction, as some translations talked about. Affliction means misery. They were in misery. They were miserable people. People that was once was blessed, but because of the captivity of Babylon and because of what had taken place, their lives had become like a disgrace. And Nehemiah was moved when he heard these words. But it was not only a place of despair and a place of disgrace. Disgrace. The word reproach is an interesting word. It means disgrace. Here was a people of plenty at one time. Now they were people of poverty. At one time, they were people that were distinguished. But now they were disgraced. And so we began to see of how their lives 
was like a disgrace. When I look around the world today and I see the, what sin has done in the lives of so many people, I think of two words, despair and disgrace. Have not taken an opportunity to receive and hear the calling of God upon their life. I'll never forget, several years ago, I had the opportunity to visit London. And when I was there in London, England, I always wanted to visit the Spurgeon Tabernacle there in London. And to my surprise... I took a a subway there, and the subway was at the bottom of the streets, and I remember walking down in the middle of that subway, or getting off that subway, and I noticed how dark and dreary it was. And as I began to make my way up unto the streets of where Spurgeon Tabernacle was, where that great mighty preacher preached, And literally thousands of people would come to hear him preach. Thousands of souls would be saved. But today, as you walk outside that church and you walk down the streets of that subway where it was at, you know what you'd find? You'd find filth. You'd find disgrace. You'd find despair. I saw men... One particular man was beaten to a pulp. Lying there in his blood and in his vomit. And people would walk by him as if there was nothing out of the ordinary. I saw men and women laying on the streets, drunk and out of their minds. Filth everywhere. I certainly wouldn't want to go through there at night. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible display of what sin will do to a life of an individual. You know what? We don't have to go far to see that very thing even in our own city today. My friend, I see a lot of homes today that are literally destroyed because of sin. I see a lot of lives that have been scattered along the roadside because of sin today. Sin brings reproach. Sin brings disgrace. Sin brings dishonor. And when Nehemiah heard these words, he was moved. The Bible says that he wept. So he saw the condition that they were in reproach. But he also saw the place in ruins. See, he not only asked about the Jews, he asked about the city of Jerusalem itself. And what he heard about the city of Jerusalem, it was just as devastating. The Bible says in chapter 1, verse 3, listen to this in the latter part. It says, the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down. And his gates are burned with fire. I I like the way that Isaiah described the walls and the gates. Listen to this in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18. 
Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Walls, salvation. It's a symbol of salvation. The gates was a symbol of praise. But now Isaiah as he was saying and expressing that terminology of salvation and of praise, the walls have crumbled. The gates have been destroyed, saying there is no salvation, there is no praise. What breaks my heart is you begin to talk someone about the Lord Jesus Christ and tell them about the good news of the gospel. And their heart becomes hardened. And their heart becomes cold. And their heart becomes as if there is no salvation. There is no praise. But oh, my friend, I want you to understand, we as a church, should be broken to realize there's people that are lost and that unless they come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to die and go to hell. I was reading the other day, nine times as many people living today who have never heard the gospel as was the entire population when Jesus lived. Nine times more who have never heard the gospel. It has been said 125,000 people die every day that is lost. How horrible to begin to think about that my next door neighbor, the person that I come in contact with at the market, or the person that I come in contact with at the superstore, or the supermarket, or at the, at the gas station, or whatever, that they're real people who are lost. And they're needing Salvation. Oh, would to God that our churches today come to a point like Nehemiah, see the conditions of our land and be broken over that. But oh, listen, what else? Not only the conditions that was shared with him, but also the concern that was sensed in Nehemiah. When all this was told to Nehemiah, you began to immediately begin to realize here was a man who's broken. Listen to what he says in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 again. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Kena Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never seen, never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? There, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. Sorrow of heart. His heart. The condition of his heart was written all over his face. The king recognized it. And the king says, what's wrong with you, Nehemiah? 
See, the news broke his heart. The news broke his heart. Nehemiah reacted when he heard about the condition of his people. This is what he says in verse 4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and I mourned. For many days I was fasting and praying before the God of heavens. Did you recognize these vivid verbs? He said, he wept. He mourned. He fasted. And he prayed. Would to God that we as a church today become so broken that our church services would become more of weeping, more of praying, more of fasting. As I began to look at Nehemiah, I'm reminded of what Max Lucado said in his book, No Wonder They Call Him Savior. Listen to this. Tears, those tiny drops of humanity, those round, wet balls of fluid that tumble from our eyes, creak down in our cheeks, and splash on the floor of our hearts. They are miniature messengers on call 24 hours a day to substitute for crippled words. They drip, drop, and pour from the corner of our souls, carrying with them the deepest emotion, emotions that we possess. My friend, what these miniature messengers were in the life of Nehemiah was messages of brokenness over his fellow brother, brothers, over his city that he once knew. Here the multitude of dying without Jesus Christ, in the state of despair, in the state of disgrace, does it not break your heart? Does it not make you concerned? Does it not move you? Hyman Appleman, that great preacher of yesteryear, told a story one time about this lady. They had been in a revival and many young persons were coming to know Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And this particular lady came to Hyman Appleman right after a meeting one time. And says, I've been praying for my two sons. But they have yet to come to know Christ as their Savior. Hyman Appleman said this. I think it may be because that your eyes are still dry. She heard the message and it moved her that night. And the next day she saw her, her eyes was almost swollen where she had wept all night long for the condition of her two sons. 
And that night she came to him and she said, I had wept from last night to tonight for the condition of my boys. And when the invitation was given, guess who were the two first two that came forward? It was her two sons. Do you have a lost son? Do you have a lost daughter? Do you have a lost husband? A lost wife? A lost friend? When was it the last time that you found yourself on your knees with tears dripping as messengers coming from your eyes there upon the altar of that prayer? When was the last time that you've awakened in the middle of the night and you were so burdened as Nehemiah was because of the condition of a loved one, spiritually speaking? Oh, Nehemiah. His heart was broken. His heart was burdened. The Bible reminds us in chapter 1, verse 1, we read in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. And you'll notice in chapter 2, in the month of Nisan in the 20th year. In other words, four months, Nehemiah is still burdened and still broken. This was not a one-time thing. This was something night and day and day and night for four solid months. Nehemiah had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. I'll never forget in my first church, there was a gentleman by the name of Mr. Wright. Mr. Wright was a good man. He was a wealthy man. But he never came to church. He was a lost man. But he had a godly wife. Remind me so much of Miss Pearl. She was a lady of God. The Lord placed that man on my heart to talk to him about his salvation. And every time I would go and talk to him, he'd want to argue with me. He'd want to bring up questions and things of that nature and and try to get off the subject of salvation. One particular day, I had prayed and I prayed and I prayed and God had just seemed like He had all, He had just burdened me beyond understanding. That I had to talk to Mr. Wright and I had to tell him that he needed Christ as his Savior. I remember I called him up and he was a man of few words. And I, I, I said, Mr. Wright, you going to be at home? Yep. I said, uh, can I come over and uh, visit with you for a few moments? Yep. Then he hung up. <laughs> I go over there and boy, I'm ready. Whatever he was wanting to discuss or however he wanted to argue, I want you to know I was ready for him. I looked at him and I said, Mr. Wright, I said, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I said, "Um, God loves you. God's blessed you with a beautiful wife, beautiful daughter. Don't you think it's time that you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? 
He said, yep, sure do. I was so amazed and caught off guard. I couldn't remember the plan of salvation. I just began to stumble over the plan of salvation. But anyway, make a long story short, he got saved. He was in his late 80s when he got saved. And man, I've never seen a man get so on fire for the Lord. Well, he came on Monday night. He saw in the bulletin there was a WMU meeting. He showed up for the WMU meeting. My, I tell you, it was one of the most wonderful experiences I've ever had. But you under must understand, when God puts a burden upon your heart, He also puts a burden upon the lost man. And God, the Holy Spirit, works together. And He brings the two together. And that is what is called divine appointments. And oh, I wonder how many times we've been so busy that we've missed the divine appointments. Oh, God help us. But then one last thing I want you to notice. The commitment that was shown by Nehemiah. Nehemiah not only had a great interest in the conditions of the things, but he wanted to get involved. He wanted to be a part of rebuilding Jerusalem and rebuilding the lives of the people there that had been in bondage for 70 years. You'll notice the request that he made of the king in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah said, Lord, here am I. Send me. Don't send my brother. Don't send somebody. But send me. I find it interesting. A lot of times I have people come up to me and say, Pastor said, uh, Lord has laid this particular person on my heart. He's lost. Would you go visit him? I don't mind visiting him. But the Lord didn't lay that person on my heart. He laid it on your heart. And the reason that he laid it on your heart is because he wants you. He has given you the ability and the skills and the desire to go. To go. And here we began to notice that he makes the request to the king. And notice that he received, what he received from the king. It says in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 2, Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asa, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must... Give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertain to the temple, for the city walls, and for the house that I will occupy. 
And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. According to the good hand of God. Nehemiah not only requested to be sent, but he requested the king to give him the resources to be used once he goes. My friend, I believe with all my heart that when you become a child of God, that the Spirit of God begins working in your life and that He begins to give you the resources to do the work of God. And there's no place that God calls you that He don't first of all equip you. And as He equips you, He sends you to go and to fulfill that calling upon your life. I hear people say all the time, Oh, Pastor, I want to, but I can't do this. I can't witness. I can't share my faith. My friend, you know what you're saying? You're saying God is too small that God can't equip you from sharing the good news of the gospel. It's amazing that when you begin to make a request like that of how God begins to work in your life in such a fashion that He gives you the right words, the right opportunity, the right ability at the right time. Will you go? Do you have a burden? Do you have a concern? Do you have a sorrowful heart? A burdened heart. This is one heart condition I pray to God that we'll have. And if you don't, my friend, the condition in your heart is worse off than you realize. Lord, hear my. Send me. Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you for the way that you have spoken through him and used him in the way that you did this as we looked in the scriptures this morning. Lord, it becomes a reality that you have placed a calling upon our lives today. What do we do with it? Do we hear and respond or do we turn a deaf ear and deny it? We must, if we're going to obey, do what God has called us to do. Because there are souls out there that needs to hear the gospel. There's individuals that are waiting for someone to share with them The message. And if we don't go, who will go? Oh, dear Lord, help us that we may have sorrowful hearts and heed to the calling. In Jesus' name.